0: So this morning we're going to turn to a scripture reading from the Gospel of Mark. As we begin this new sermon series, we're going to spend this entire sermon series for the month of February in the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. And the Gospel of Mark chapter 6 begins with this story, the story of a very bad day. Jesus left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, And many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, prophets are not without honor except in their own hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So way back in 1955, a young psychologist named Emmy Werner had a brilliant idea. Emmy Werner was in her 20s. She had just become Dr. Emmy Werner. And as she was making her way into this field of psychology, she noticed something about her older colleagues that rubbed her the wrong way. She noticed this thing that they would do that just seemed a little bit off to her, that got under her skin. The thing that Dr. Emmy Werner noticed about her colleagues was a habit that they had, a way that they had of talking about young people. And whenever a young person's life would go off the rails, whenever a, a young person's life would take a, a tragic turn, her older colleagues would all shake their heads and they would say, well, you know, you just know that somewhere in that person's life, that young person was exp- exposed to some sort of a horrible trauma. There was, must be something in that, that young person's childhood, there must be something in that young person's past that explains why their life has taken such a terrible, such a tragic turn. And the thing is, Dr. Dr. Emmy Werner's colleagues were almost always right. Every time they would then look into the childhood, every time they would look into the background, the past of this young person whose life had taken such a terrible turn, they would always find exactly what they were looking for. They would find family conflict. They would find exposure to addiction and, and violence. They would find exposure to mental illness. There was often a parent who had had a mental illness. They would find extreme poverty. Often they would find multiples and all of those things together and whenever they found that trauma in the background of that young person they would say well there you go that explains it that explains why this young person's life has gone in the direction that it has this is what bothered Dr. Emmy Werner about her colleagues the way that they talked about these young people it seemed to her that they were implying that it was inevitable that if you went through bad things if you went through hard things inevitably your life would take a tragic turn inevitably you would end up in a bad place they talked about people as if we are all the sum total of all of the bad things that have ever happened to us that our trauma is our destiny and Dr. Emmy Werner wasn't sure that that was true. She wanted to find out if that was the case. And so she came up with this brilliant idea for a study, an ambitious study for a young person just making her way in the field of psychology. Here's what Dr. Emmy Werner did. She went to the Hawaiian island of Kauai Now, Kauai is about the remotest place that you can possibly imagine. Kauai is as far west as you can go. It's as far out into the Pacific Ocean as you can go and still be in one of the United States. Now, Dr. Warner went out to the island of Kauai, and she partnered with a local psychologist there, and together, they started studying, they started gathering data, they started tracking the lives of every baby who was born on the island of Kauai in the year 1955. In 1955, there were 698 babies born on the island of Kauai. And Dr. Warner started keeping tabs on each and every one of them. She checked in on them to see how their lives were going when they were one year old. And she checked in again at two years old and at 10 years old. And at 18 years old and 32 years old and 40 years old, this study went on for more than 40 years as Dr. Werner followed the lives of all 698 of these 1955 babies born and living on the island of Kauai. And she paid a special attention to those 1955 babies who at an early age were exposed to the worst kind of trauma. Those babies who grew up in extreme poverty, who grew up exposed to addiction and mental illness, who grew up with conflict in the family. She paid special attention to those young people who grew up exposed to the worst kind of trauma, the most at risk of all of those children. And as she followed their lives for 40 years, Dr. Werner discovered that her colleagues were largely right that those young people who were exposed to terrible trauma at an early age really did seem to struggle in life. By the time that they were 10 years old, many of them were developing learning problems and behavioral problems By the time they were 18 years old, many of them were showing their own signs of mental illness and many of them had already been in trouble with the law. She discovered that for many of those 1955 babies, exposure to trauma at an early age really did lead to their lives taking dark turns and going down bad roads. But, and this is a really important but, but, She discovered that even among those young people who had been exposed to the worst kind of trauma, somehow, one out of every three, one-third of those young people exposed to the very worst kinds of trauma, the most trauma, the most at-risk young people, one out of every three of them somehow turned out just fine. Academically, they performed just as well as all of their peers did who grew up without trauma in their lives. In their careers, they were just as accomplished and often more accomplished than their peers who grew up in wealthier circumstances. By the age of 40, not one in that one out of three group, that miraculous one-third, not one of them was unemployed, not one of them had a criminal record, had ever been in trouble with the law. And not only that, but Dr. Emmy Warner, then Werner, then discovered something maybe even more remarkable. She discovered as this experiment, as this study went on year after year, decade after decade, she discovered that many of those young people who were struggling at the age of 18 then went on to begin to put their lives back together in their 20s and their 30s. Maybe they didn't finish high school, but they got their GED and went to community college. They started careers. Their first marriages didn't work out, but their second marriages did. They joined churches. They found recovery programs for their addictions. And by the age of 40, many of those young people who had been in a really bad place at the age of 18 were also doing just fine. This is the discovery Dr. Emmy Werner made that revolutionized the field of human psychology. She discovered that we are not the sum total. Total of all the bad things that have ever happened to us. She discovered that our trauma is not our destiny. She discovered that people can and people do bounce back, that it is possible to survive and even thrive in the worst of circumstances. And Dr. Emmy Werner started using a word to describe what happened when these people who she was, whose lives she followed, when these, people, when these people bounced back from their trauma, bounced back from crisis. The word that she started using was resilience. Resilience is what happens when we bounce back from trauma and crisis. Resilience is what happens when we thrive in even challenging circumstances. Resilience is what we're going to be studying, what we're going to be learning about in our sermon series for the month of February. We're going to be talking about how we can bounce back, having survived so much crisis and so much trauma here in the city of Flint in the last half dozen years, here in the world in the last couple years. We're going to be talking about how we can thrive thrive in what continue to be challenging and difficult and painful circumstances. We're going to be talking about resilience for the next few weeks. We're going to be learning from psychologists like Dr. Emmy Werner, and even more importantly, we are going to be learning from Jesus. Now, throughout this sermon series, we are going to follow Jesus and watch what he does as he makes his way through one of the most difficult and one of the most challenging periods in his entire ministry. And it all begins with the story of a very, very bad day. So in this morning's gospel reading, as we pick up the story of Jesus, we find him at a moment when everything seems to be going really well in his ministry. Jesus, at this point in his ministry, has made a reputation for himself as a preacher and as a healer. Jesus is traveling from town to town and village to village, and everywhere he goes, he preaches. He teaches people about the ways of God and about the kingdom of God, and then when he's finished preaching, people come to him for healing by the dozens and by the hundreds. Everywhere he goes, Jesus does deeds of powers as signs so people can see the kingdom of God making its way into this world among them. And everywhere Jesus goes, as his reputation grows, the crowds get bigger and bigger. People come running every time Jesus comes into a town. It seems like everything is going really well in the ministry of Jesus. But then one day, just when everything is going really well, Jesus decides to go home. He decides to visit his hometown of Nazareth. And Jesus and his disciples, as they roll into the town of Nazareth, right away they can sense that there's something a little bit off in the town of Nazareth. Usually when Jesus walks into a town, people come running and a great big mob of people immediately surrounds him. But when Jesus walks into Nazareth, it's almost as if people are going out of their way to ignore him. They know who Jesus is. They recognize Jesus. They have heard about the the deeds and the great works that Jesus has been doing everywhere. But it's almost as if people are going out of their way to avoid making eye contact with Jesus. It's almost as if they are going out of their way not to seem impressed by Jesus. Jesus. And so nobody approaches Jesus. Nobody talks to Jesus. No mob, no crowd of people surround Jesus. And it's the Sabbath. And Jesus and his disciples decide that they're going to go to the synagogue for worship. The same synagogue where Jesus grew up worshiping with his family every Sabbath day. The same synagogue where his family still goes to worship every Sabbath day. And as Jesus is taking his seat, the leaders of the synagogue come over and they say, Rabbi, It's good to see you. Would you like to come up to the front and share a message this morning? Would you like to preach this morning's sermon? And Jesus says, finally, here we go. Now I've got a chance to share God's ways and God's kingdom in my hometown. And so Jesus gets up and he goes up to the front. He reads the scripture for that day and then he begins preaching just like he does. Every village, every town that he visits, Jesus starts telling people about the ways of God and about the kingdom of God. But as Jesus is preaching, he can tell that something is, off right there in the synagogue as Jesus is talking usually people will be completely silent they will strain they will strain to hear every word from the mouth of Jesus but here in the synagogue nobody seems to be making any kind of an effort to listen to what Jesus has to say as a matter of fact as he's preaching Jesus can hear a sort of a rumbling noise from out in the pews as people are talking to one another And as the sermon goes on, that rumbling noise gets louder and louder until Jesus can hear what the people are saying. And what the people are saying is this. Who does this guy think he is? To stand up there and tell us about the ways of God and the kingdom of God. What does he know about God that we didn't teach him in Sabbath school? Jesus, we know everything about you. We remember your childhood when you used to go down for the children's sermon and pick your nose in front of the congregation. We are not impressed, the people say. Who does this guy think he is? Jesus, son of Mary, we know who you really are. Notice what the people in the synagogue call him. They call him Jesus, son of Mary. They don't call him Jesus, son of Joseph. They don't call him Jesus, son of Joseph and Mary. The people there in the synagogue call him Jesus, son of Mary. Why do they call him Jesus, son of Mary? Because they want him to know that they remember way back when Jesus was born. They remember the stories, they remember the gossip. They remember how nobody was really sure who the Father was, and they want Jesus to know that they remember. When they say, Jesus, Son of Mary, that's meant to be an insult. They're putting Jesus in his place. And finally... Finally, the rumbling gets to be so loud and so noisy and so insulting that Jesus decides that he just is through putting in the effort. He just can't compete. And so in what I've always imagined was a very angry and frustrated voice, Jesus looks out at the, at the congregation and he says, Prophets have honor everywhere they go, except for in their hometown. And then he takes his seat. And just when it seems like this day couldn't get any worse, then after worship, Jesus is ready to do what he always does after he preaches. Jesus is ready for anybody who needs healing to come to him. Jesus is ready to meet the crowds. Jesus is ready to do deeds of power so that people will be able to see God's kingdom making its way into the world among them. But somehow, something after worship that day goes terribly wrong. The gospel tells us he could do no deeds of power in that place. Except, the gospel tells us, except he cured a few people who came to him with illnesses. For me, that would be a really good Sunday. For me, that would be a really good afternoon of worship, after worship. But for Jesus, this is a really off day. For Jesus, it's clear that somehow the power that he usually has has failed him. Jesus has a no good, terrible, awful, rotten, very bad day. Now, like I said to the kids earlier, I, I kind of like that. I know that this story is really miserable for Jesus, but I appreciate and I'm grateful for the fact that we have the story of this day recorded in the Gospels so I can know that Jesus also had really bad days. There's something comforting to me on my worst days to know that Jesus also had days when nobody would listen to him and it seemed like everybody was against him and nothing he tried to do went right and everything went wrong and his power just wasn't where it usually was. It's good to know that Jesus also had days like that. But I tell you, I think my favorite part of this story is what happens next. If we keep on reading, If we keep reading just past where this morning's gospel reading ended, if we keep reading past, he could do no deeds of power in that place. And he was amazed at their unbelief. If we keep on reading the very next verse, the very next word that follows on after this story is the word then. Then he went around teaching from village to village. Then Jesus got up and dusted himself off and kept doing the work that God sent him to do. Then Jesus bounced back. Jesus, no matter what people said about him, no matter how rotten his day was, Jesus never lost sight of who he was. He never forgot, he never stopped believing in what God had sent him into this world to do. He held on to those things and he bounced back and he got up again the next day and he went right back out there and did it. Now, the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how Jesus is able to bounce back. We're going to talk about how we see Jesus finding resilience in these stories. But for today, for this Sunday morning, it's enough for us simply to read this story and know that he did. For us this morning, the most important thing we can do is to discover what Dr. Emmy Werner discovered all those years ago, to discover that it is possible to bounce back, that resurrection happens even from the most tragic circumstances, that we are not the sum total of the worst things that have happened to us, that our trauma is not our destiny, that tomorrow is not written by all of our worst yesterdays. This morning... This morning, the best thing that we can do, the way that we can begin to find resilience is simply to hold on to hope and to believe that somehow, by the grace of God, we will get to the point in our story where the next word is then. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would help us to find our then. Help us to find the resilience of Jesus the resilience that kept him going even when people insulted him, even when people told stories about him, even when people called him names and resisted him. Help us to find the resilience that kept Jesus believing in himself even when no one else believed in him, that kept him doing your work when it seemed like it would have been just as easy to go back to making cabinets. God, help us to find resilience here among your people, here in the presence of Jesus, here in these words of the message you sent to us. All these things we pray in Jesus. Amen.